This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now move into a time of scripture reading. Today's passage is on Luke 14, verses 25 to 35. So I'll give us some time as we flip our Bibles to the page. At the same time, you can also see and view the Bible passage on the screen. Luke 14, verses 25. Large crowds were gathering, traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, and yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of God. I'll now invite Pastor out for today's sermon. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we truly want to ask you to help us to understand your word, to meet you in your word once again as we open it up. And we pray that our hearts will be open to instruction, that you'll give us concentration. The Holy Spirit will be working to open our eyes as well. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many, many years ago, when I was uh, 27 years old, my mother asked me to go and see my father in his room. So I went to see him. I still remember the scene. He was sitting in his favorite leather recliner, very looking uh, in his chair, looking very seriously at me. And he said to me, if you still want to choose to go to theological college, after all I've said to you, knowing that I'm dead set against it, if you still decide to go, then I want you to know that I don't want to have anything to do with you. You will be making the biggest mistake of your life. Now at that moment, I was faced with a really difficult choice, a choice of love and loyalty, of allegiance and priority to either my earthly father or to Jesus Christ. But I realized that actually it's not just myself that has to face that, uh, that choice, but I think every Christian has to face that choice repeatedly at different times of their life. And it's not just because I say it, but I think it's because it's very clear in God's word, in Jesus' words, that we will have to make that choice of love, loyalty, allegiance, and priority. Do we give it to Jesus Christ or someone else? Do we give it to Jesus Christ or something else? Now today, as we look at the Gospel of Luke, 
We've been coming up to chapter 14. Now, right at the very beginning of Luke, we were told of the purpose that Luke wanted us, or I guess the original readers, Theophilus, to have certainty, certainty of the things that he had been taught. And so in Luke chapter 1 to 9, we were given certainty about who Jesus is. And so who is Jesus? He is both Christ, the Messiah, as well as God, divine. And Jesus comes to save us from our sins as well as to bring the kingdom of God. Now, in Luke chapter 10 to 14, it then changes topic or changes focus to the opposition by the Pharisees to Jesus. And that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And we've learned the importance of repentance, especially by the Pharisees and the religious teachers, and also that we cannot follow the religious leaders to enter into the kingdom of God. Now today, as we look at chapter 14, verse 25, we are coming again to another hinge in the book of Luke, another, another inflection point, so to speak. Because as we come to chapter 14, verse 25, we're moving on from Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and now he seems to be addressing more and more and more the identity of the disciples and what it means, the, desire, the demands of discipleship. So today we're looking at verse 25, and verse 25 begins by saying, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So looking at the very first verse in verse 25, we see immediately that the audience or the listener in the original setting, the original context, has changed. No longer is he looking at the Pharisees or rebuking the teachers of the law, but he's now turning to the crowds. He's speaking to them. And so what is he saying to these crowds? What is he saying to these people? He says in verse 26 and 27, if anyone comes to me, or in verse 27, and whoever does not carry the cross and follow me. So what we see here are these very universal, all-encompassing words, right? Anyone, whoever. So no one is excluded, no one is exempted, no one is excused from the demands that Jesus makes on these people. And what is the demand? In verse 26, and verse 27, it says, whoever comes to me or anyone comes to me, whoever follows me. So the idea here, as we look at this very first three verses, is that the demands of discipleship are for everyone, right? There is no one who is excluded from these demands. Now, as we look at this passage, coming to Jesus means coming to Jesus in relationship. Following Jesus means following Jesus as a disciple. And the demands are exceedingly high, very, very high. In verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Now this word hate here is a very, very strong word, right? Why does Jesus use this word hate? 
I think he uses it as a rhetorical device to provoke a reaction from his listeners, to shock his listeners. It's very shocking to us, but even more so to its original audience, right? Because for the Jews, they would have been raised since young, being told about the Ten Commandments. And they would be repeatedly told in the Sixth Command, or the Fifth Command, sorry, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So for us, it may be shocking, but it's even more shocking for the Jews, right? Hate your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters. Now, what is Jesus really saying here in terms of hate? I don't think he's saying literally hate, as in, you know, you hate them. But what he's saying is, the demands of loyalty and love to Jesus, the demand of discipleship, of priority and commitment to Jesus, is so high, is so elevated, compared to our loyalty and allegiance to family, to wife, to children, to brothers and sisters, that when you compare the magnitude of the, of the priority of Jesus Christ to the priority of our closest relationships, it's almost comparable to hating. So vast is the distance between our allegiance to Jesus and our allegiance to our closest human relationships. Now, we can sort of see that because in another gospel which recounts what Jesus says, and here the gospel of Matthew, it actually tells us again of what Jesus is saying. But you notice that he uses in the book of Matthew slightly different emphases and different words. So Matthew chapter 10, it says, If anyone who, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You notice there's this parallel between what we read in Luke and in Matthew, right? So obviously there are echoes of what Jesus had been teaching. And here, as we look in the book of Matthew, the idea of hate right, is contrasted in the book of Matthew with loving more, loving more. And so what Jesus is really saying here is not, I literally hate my father, I literally hate my mother, I literally hate my brothers and, or sisters. It means that my love for Jesus is so great, right, so profoundly great, that by, in comparison, my allegiance to my closest family members, my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, is comparable almost to like hating them. It means that if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to renounce the very closest relationships in my life to choose to follow Jesus. Now, it's not just saying family relationships. Uh, Jesus is kind of like using family relationships as like the model of renouncing all relationships. It doesn't mean, okay, well, you know, I, I hate my family, but... I can put my boyfriend or girlfriend above Jesus or my relationships at work above Jesus or my colleagues or classmates above Jesus. To follow Jesus means Jesus must always be number one in my life above every 
human relationship. Now, if you read about situations overseas where in some communist countries or maybe some close, oppressed Muslim countries, to become a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus, literally would mean being kicked out of your family home and sometimes fleeing the village that you grew up in. And therefore, the demand of Jesus is really real for these people. You would literally have to put Jesus as number one above all relationships. Way, way above every relationship. Now for us today in Singapore, maybe it's not so extreme, right? We won't have to lose all those relationships. But the demand of Jesus is still the same, right? Because the danger is that for some of us, human relationships will be above our priority in our relationship with Jesus. And the challenge for us today as we listen to this sermon is, and we read this passage is, have I put any human relationship above my allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus says, if you do that, if you put a human relationship above your loyalty, love, and priority to me, then you cannot be my disciple. Now, the first demand was very challenging, that if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, then the second demand is even more challenging, right? Yes, even their own life. Now, we must be very careful when we read the Bible, not to import our 21st century thinking back into the 1st century, right? So, to hate your own life is not to have some sort of mental health condition or view it in some psychological way. You know, I, I, I have self-loathing, self-hating, I cut myself or, you know, something like that. Again, when we look at this passage, it's about a comparative standard, right? A, a relative thing. It means hating my life because my loyalty and love to Jesus is of such a quality that my love for myself is far, far below that. We can see this because in verse 27, Jesus parallels the giving of or hating of one life to the giving of your life and carrying your cross. Now in the ancient world, people often carried the beams of the cross to the crucifixion site. Carrying the beam of the cross meant that you were an enemy of the state. You were persecuted, opposed, you were hated by the Roman Empire. And Jesus is basically saying, look, your loyalty to me is of such a quality that you must be willing to carry your cross, hate your life in such a way that you are willing to withstand persecution, opposition, hate, hostility from people up to the point of even death. Now, these are very, very serious words, isn't it? Do you love Jesus so much? Is he so much number one in your life that in a sense, the love you have for your own life is so far down that you can almost say that you hate your life compared to loving Jesus? Now again, Jesus makes a very strong point, right? Two times 
in verse 26 and 27, he says, unless you carry your cross, unless you hate your own life, unless you hate those closest to you, relative to your loyalty to me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, we live today in Singapore where I doubt very much that we will be giving up our lives to follow Jesus. You don't read the newspaper that anyone is dying for their faith in Jesus. But I think that the words of Jesus here are still very, very applicable, right? You must still be willing to carry your cross and to hate your life in comparison to following Jesus. In a few uh, months' time, we're going to be having this topic, two topical talks called The Worship of Self and the Search for Meaning. The Worship of Self and the Search for Meaning. Now, the reason why we're having this talk is because we live in, a, in an age, in a world, in a time where uh, individualism, right? Individual, me as an individual, is, is what is the meaning of life for many people. Expressing my individualism is very important. So the purpose in my life is to find my identity, my authentic me, I've got to be true to me, me being me. And so we live in the age of me, right? Of self, expressing myself, being true to me, finding my authentic me. So I remember meeting some university students, some young people, and they'll say to you, you know, I, I go to church, I know what the Bible says, but shouldn't I be allowed to live my life my own way? I've got to be me. This is the world that we live in, right? It, it embraces this attitude of, I've got to be me. But Jesus actually says, you want to follow him, you need to renounce me. Identity is not my authentic me and trying to find me within myself, but rather it is actually to subsume self and renounce self and find identity in Jesus Christ. And that's what discipleship means, right? To be a disciple means that Jesus is like the teacher. He's like the number one in my life. And I subsume my identity within Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus then goes on to say, in verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build but was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now here Jesus uh, gives two parables. The two parables are parallel to one another. You can see it in the way that it's structured. In the first parable, there's a person who wants to build a tower. In the second one, there's a king who wants to go to war. 
Both of these things are very, very serious endeavors, right? Any of you ever tried doing renovation? You know how serious it is to do a renovation, right? And how much heartache and pain it can be. Imagine building a tower, okay? So, building a tower is a huge undertaking and you don't enter into lightly. You, 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 you spend a lot of time thinking about how much you can afford, you estimate, you calculate, you, you, know, you do everything you need. Now, if building a tower is a serious endeavor, then going to war is an even more serious endeavor. Going to war is something which you do not go into lightly. Right? It's a very serious business. So if you want to build a tower, if you want to go to war, what must you first do? You need to sit down and you need to consider and estimate. The one who builds a tower needs to estimate whether they are able to complete and finish the tower. The one who goes to war needs to consider whether they're able to win. Why go to war if you cannot win, right? That's the whole point of going to war, to win. Nobody goes to war to lose. And the cost for both the tower builder and the one going to war of failing to complete or to finish or to win is great. For the one who goes to build a tower, failure to complete the tower or to finish a tower means ridicule, bankruptcy, loss of face. For the king who goes to war in the ancient world, it is even more serious. Loss of nation, loss of kingdom, loss of life of your soldiers, most probably loss of life of your own family and of yourself. And so, both of these parables emphasize the importance of seriously estimating and considering before you enter to see if you're able to complete and finish and able to win. And so Jesus links these parables back to what he says in verse 25 to 27. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is just as serious as building a tower or going to war. You need to, in a sense, consider whether you are able to finish or complete the journey of discipleship. Can you meet the demands of discipleship? Will you be willing to give your life, carry your cross, hate your closest family relationships because that is, in a sense, what discipleship is all about. So many years ago, I was a teenager. A friend from Hong Kong invited me to his church. And uh, I went to this church. It was very vibrant and, and, and loud and noisy. And at the end of it, there was an altar call where the pastor you know, loudly asked everybody to put up their hands if they want to accept Jesus and come up to the front. So my Hong Kong friend, he was uh, very encouraging. He said, hey, Andrew, let's go up. You know, accept Christ. It's okay, okay. I put on my hand. I went up to the front. So I went up to accept Christ. And after that, I thought, I'm a Christian now. You know, I went up to the front, visit church once in a while, hang out with my Hong Kong friend. But then that's actually not discipleship. That's not discipleship at all, right? It was a very quick decision. It was ill-conceived. It was very fast. And in the original context of Jesus, right, talking to the crowds, that's, that's what he's warning them, isn't it? Because these crowds are following Jesus, and they may think that they're disciples, but actually 
They haven't made the serious consideration of deciding whether they are really, really following Jesus. So, again, a few weeks ago, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus had warned the Pharisees as well as the crowds who were listening, right? He would say, then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, you evildoers. And so today, as we look at this passage, the, the idea of Luke chapter 13, verse 26 to 27 is the same. The danger is we can come to church, we can join the membership class, we can be baptized even, we can go to Bible study, but unless you make the very, very serious commitment of the demands of discipleship, hating the very human relationships closest to you, hating your very own life, carrying your cross, and not just a once-in-a-lifetime decision, but for the rest of your life, till you die, then you have not really considered the cost and completed the whole journey of discipleship. Now, Jesus ends in verse 33 by summarizing in the same way, in the same way, right, linking back to the previous verses, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, for some of you in your translations, if you look at your Bibles or your phones that you're looking at now, some of the translations may say give up your possessions. Give up your possessions. I think it's actually more than that, right? It's actually more than that. Everything you have is not just a physical possession, but all of what is important to you, your, your identity, your status, your achievements, your, your dreams. It's very similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever it was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, comes, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now, I think this is so important, right? Because there is this danger that we do not give up everything because Jesus is the number one priority in my life. So, over the years, I've spoken to uh, some people, and then because of the, the pursuit of academic success, right, maybe O levels, A levels, university, they'll say, okay, for a season of life, I will, I will put my academic success above my priority in following Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is saying, right, unless you give up everything you have. Even success, status, and achievement. You cannot be my disciple. There's some other people for whom job success, right, promotions and career become more important and become the number one priority above their relationship with Jesus. Again, Jesus says, look, if you do not give, it, give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus then closes in verse 34 verse 35. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, what is this salt? The salt here must be linked back to the previous section, right? So salt here must be the qualities, in a sense, the qualities of the disciple. The salty disciple is the one who is the one who does what Jesus has said. He's given up the closest family relationship by putting Jesus number one. He hates his life by putting Jesus number one. He carries his cross, or she carries her cross. And that person is willing to give up everything that they have to follow Jesus. But there's a surprise in the verse, right? Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. Now, in the ancient world, we, we see that they don't make salt in a, in a chemical way, right? You know, today we, we buy our salt, it's like pure salt, right? Like even our sea salt is very pure, right? It's, it's really salty, okay? But in the ancient world, they used to make salt in the natural way. They used to like evaporate, uh, I don't know, like very high salt water or whatever, and then you get salt. Now, salt becomes not salty because the salt becomes mixed with a lot of impurities, like crystals, dirt, sand, whatever. Then after you have too many impurities, the salt becomes saltless. And I think that's quite helpful in understanding what Jesus is saying, right? Because the salty Christian can become saltless or lose his or her saltiness because their life becomes filled with all this dilution and diversion and distraction. Their loyalties and love become contaminated and made impure. So that over time, your loyalty and love and priority for Jesus becomes distracted and diluted by all sorts of other loves and allegiances. And the passage then goes on to say in verse 35 then, that such a saltless Christian, in a sense, is neither fit for the soil nor the meal pile that is thrown out. So in the ancient world, sub-optimal salt, like salt which is not that salty, actually gets used as fertilizer or preserves manure to be used as fertilizer. But the salt that has become so saltless cannot even be used for that purpose. And so, it's thrown out. Now what does this thrown out mean? Again, if we look back to the context of the parables, well, for the tower builder who fails to finish, there is bankruptcy, public ridicule, loss of face. For the king who goes to war and fails to win, there is loss of life, nation, and his own life. For the salt, salty Christian who becomes saltless or loses or his or her saltiness, the cost is being thrown out, right? That's the... That's what happens. That's the logical process. To be thrown out then is a very serious thing. Thrown out of heaven, thrown out of salvation, thrown out of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus ends by saying very seriously, you need to consider very soberly, very, very seriously before you become a disciple of Jesus. Because when you become a disciple of Jesus, it's not just that one 
moment in time that you've made a decision, but the demand of discipleship goes through to the end of life. You need to keep that saltiness till Jesus comes or you die. Now, the demands then of discipleship are very great, right? Jesus must always be number one in my life, above my human relationships, my life, everything I have, and to carry my cross. Now, if you look at this, you might ask yourself, this doesn't make sense, right? Who can demand this of me? Why should I do this? Why should anyone choose to follow Jesus and become his or her disciple? Well, again, we've got to come back to the context of Luke, right? Because it doesn't make sense unless we have Luke chapter 1 to 9, isn't it? Because in Luke chapter 1 to 9, we know that Jesus is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the eternal King. We know that He is God. And we know that He is the only one who saves from sins and brings the kingdom of God to us. Therefore, it makes sense to estimate and to consider whether it is worthwhile to follow Jesus. And if we have understood Luke chapter 1 tonight, it is indeed worthwhile to give up everything to put Jesus number one in our life. Because at the end of the day, he must be the center of our life and everything else, in a sense, are like satellites around Jesus. Now, in conclusion, sadly, over many years, I've seen so many people fall away from Jesus Christ. But actually, when I reflect upon it, it's not as if one morning they woke up and said, I don't believe Jesus is real. Or I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Or I don't believe that the the Bible is God's word. At the end of the day, for many people, it's about allegiance, love, and loyalty. So I've met some people and they say, oh, you know, uh, I I, I don't want to be a Christian anymore because I, I can't agree with what the Bible says about marriage, sex, or identity. But when you scratch a bit more below the surface, it's not an intellectual issue, it's an allegiance issue, a loyalty issue. For these people, some of them are quite young, it's probably because they have met friends outside of church, and these people seem like really, really nice people. And because they're such nice people, it leads to what people call a plausibility problem. If these people are so nice and they believe this, then how is it that I can't believe something that's different, right? And so at the end of the day, why do they fall away from being Christian? It's not an intellectual issue. It's an allegiance issue. They put their nice friends above Jesus. I remember meeting some other people as well. And then they will say, oh, you know, I I, I haven't been coming to church, I haven't been doing things. But actually, when you scratch below the surface again, it's because, you know, they've met some special friend, some special friend from work, and they want to spend more time with that special friend, do things with that special friends. At the end of the day, it's, it's not an intellectual issue, right? But it's an allegiance issue. Again, sometimes I meet some people, and, and the, I find the strangest reason why people fall away from Christ, but... I remember someone was telling me about this friend that I hadn't seen for a long, long time. Actually, he's an ex-helping hand brother. I said, you know, I haven't seen this guy for so long. I told another helping hand brother. He said, oh yeah, now, you know, he's really into his dogs. He, he has these two dogs and his dogs are like, like more important than Jesus Christ, he said. And for some of us, that's what happens, right? Over time, we are salty 
But our saltiness becomes diluted and distracted and impure by all these other loves and allegiances and priority. But Jesus says very clearly, right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So let us truly estimate, consider, and must give ourselves fully to making sure that Jesus is always the number one priority in our lives till Jesus comes or we die. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, really want to ask you to help us to see that because your Son, Jesus, is Christ, is God, who comes to save us and who comes to bring us into your kingdom, that the demands of discipleship are reasonable and logical. Because he is God and Christ, he must demand that we give him all allegiance above every human relationship, even above our own life itself. We pray that you will help us to carry our cross daily and to also give up everything that is important to us, to give him all allegiance and loyalty and love. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now move into a time of uh, discussion and reflection. Today we have two questions. Uh, the first is, am I a true disciple of Jesus? And the second question is, how do I struggle to always put Jesus as the number one in my life? I'll give us- Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.